In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Tonight, our Bible study from the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 13. The outline of this chapter, from verse 1 to 5, repent or perish. Then, from verse 6 to 9, the parable of the barren fig tree from verse 17 sorry 10 to 17 a spirit of infirmity from 18 and to 19 the parable of the mustard seed then from 20 to 21 the parable of the leaven 22 to 33 the narrow way. Then the Lord laments over Jerusalem, verse 34 and 35. So let's start from verse 1. There were present at that season some who told him about the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered and said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Who were these Galileans? St. Cyril and St. Ambrose, in their commentary, they did not mention anything actually about this part of the chapter. But in another quote, St. Cyril the Great mentioned that those Galileans were followers to Judas the Galilean. Uh, if you remember in Acts chapter 5, verse 7, there was a reference to a man started like opposition uh, against the Jewish synagogue. His name was Judas the Galilean. So these Galileans were followers to Judas the Galilean according to St. Cyril. Judas the Galilean taught that no one should be called master or lord. You cannot call anybody master or lord. And he was surrounded by many. And they refused to call Caesar the Roman emperor lord. So Pilate punished them. Pilate was enraged sent a band of soldiers and slew them who came up to the feast of the Passover. So, as they were offering their sacrifices in the temple, offering the Passover lamb, he killed them and he mixed their blood with the blood of the Passover lambs. So, some people came and told our Lord Jesus Christ about this incident. 
most likely some of the Pharisees and the scribes whom the Lord described as hypocrites, those who went to the Lord Jesus Christ and told him about this incident. Why? They wanted either to have the Lord Jesus Christ condemn Pilate's cruel and vicious conduct, so they might report him to Pilate, and in this way they will get rid of him. Or maybe he would approve what Pilate did. And if he approves what Pilate did, this will be a good opportunity for them to criticize the Lord Jesus Christ and bring him into contempt with the people. Another possibility to know his thoughts and feeling concerning, concerning the people who were slain, whether he would consider them wicked people or not, whether he will pass a judgment upon them or not, whether he will consider their death in such a manner and such a time and such a place would be the right uh, punishment for them or not. So the Lord, as usual, he knew their trick. That's why neither approving nor condemning Pilate's action. Also, although indirectly, he pointed that these Galileans are sinners, which could not be denied, but he did not pass judgment upon them. He told them expressly that these Galileans were not to be viewed greater sinners than others, just because they had been overtaken by so severe a tragedy. And as usual, our Lord Jesus Christ answers indirectly, but also he answered indirect question. They probably were hinting that these Galileans were worse sinners than the rest. That's why they suffered such severe tragedy. And those who told the story expected the Lord Jesus Christ to make comment about this. But the Lord turned their focus from the question, why did this happen? To another question, what does this mean to me? Usually, when we hear about a tragedy, the question that all of us ask, why did this happen? Why God allowed the pandemic to happen? What God allowed this youth to die in this accident? Why? But the Lord taught us this is not the right question. But the right question, what does this mean to me? 
That's why he told them, do you sup- suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans? That's why did this happen, because they were worse sinners. But the Lord said, no, no, no. Don't ask yourself this question. They were not worse sinners. But I tell you, hear a lesson. No, they were not. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So they were not greater sinners than others. Nor is it to be concluded from the blood slaughter that was made of them that they were worse sinners. Maybe others deserving more tragedy than this one, but it did not happen to them. So, what is the, the lesson here? Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So, what does this mean to me? That a person can die at any moment in any tragedy. What pandemic means to me that I can die at any moment. So I, I need to be ready. Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Then the Lord actually referred to another tragedy. Verse 4. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Silwan fell and killed them. Do you think that they were worse sinners than all others, other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? Same answer. I tell you no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So, the Lord here spoke about two disasters that were well known to the people. One was an evil done by the hand of man, Pilate. And the other was a natural disaster. A tower fell on 18 and killed them. We normally think that some people are good, some people are bad. And most of us believe that God will allow good things to happen to good people. And bad things happen to bad people. And usually you ask this question, why bad things happen to good people? The Lord Jesus Christ corrected this thinking. So, his point was not that the Galileans in question were innocent. He did not say they were innocent, or the 18 were innocent. But his point was very, very simple that they were not more guilty than others. All of us are sinners and guilty. So, the Lord Jesus Christ hinted and told the multitude, when you see such tragedies, it will be an opportunity for you to examine yourself 
and to continually change yourself, continually change your relationship with God, and respond with humble repentance for my own sins. So when I see this any tragedy, or if I hear about any disaster, this should be calling for you to repent. Nobody knows when a similar tragedy can claim my life. And if this happens, there is no longer opportunity to repent or to make it right with God before I stand before the throne of God, giving an account of for my life. So from these two disasters, the Lord told them, the question should not be why this happened, but the question should be, what does this mean to me? Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And by noting the ancient Greek grammars, we see that the Lord Jesus Christ used two types of repentance, and both are essentials. The word repent in verse 3, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And the repent in verse 5, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. These two words in the Greek, the original text by which the Gospel of Luke was written, these two words are different. In verse 5 means, repent means once and for all repentance. You quit a certain sin once for all. You never return it back to this sin. But in verse 3, it describes a continuing repentance, a life of repentance. So we need actually these two types of repentance, that once we turn our back to sin, we will never return back to it. But at the same time, we need to examine ourselves daily, wash ourselves daily in the tears of repentance to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. After this, the Lord gives them the parable of the barren fig tree. Verse 6, he also spoke this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. Then he said to the keeper of his vineyard, Look, for three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why does it use the, up the ground? But he answered and said to him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, well, but if not, after that, you can cut it down. So the people had been warned of the danger of perishing unless they repent. 
as he said in verse 3 and verse 5. Now they are taught that the forbearance and long-suffering of God leading them to repentance. If God is patient with me, because he wants me to repent. So the Lord used this parable to illustrate the long-suffering of God, his forbearance, but also the principle of God's judgment. The first point was very simple. God looks for fruit. God wants us to bear fruits in our life. The fruit that you are bearing will show what kind of person you are. What fruit is God looking for? The fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace that are mentioned in Galatians chapter 5 verse 22 and 23. But this victory was barren. It is a symbol of fruitless work of godliness. When God examined my life, he finds no fruit. He gave me many talents, but I did not bear any fruit in my life. So, what does this parable mean prophetically. The victory symbolizes the nation of Israel, the chosen people. And God wants to show the Pharisees and the prideful Jewish people that, yes, they are the chosen people of God, But if they don't bear fruit for the kingdom of God, they will be cut down. They consider themselves the elect, the chosen. But this position will not save them. As the Lord told them, if you are the children of Abraham, do the works of Abraham. So, the victory is the nation of Israel. Supposedly to bear fruit for the kingdom of God. But if it ceased to do that, if it gave no further fruit, then it will be cut down without mercy. Some scholars asked, what are these three years? So, Some of them said the three years are the three major era of the Old Testament. The first era, the era of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Second one is the judges. Third one is the kings. So God waited the whole Old Testament and they did not bear fruit. That's why God allowed the temple to be destroyed and he took the vineyard from them and gave it to another people. But some people argue against this opinion and they are saying we cannot separate the first two periods, the patriarch Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and the period of the judges. 
because they interchange and overlap each other. So, other groups said the three years symbolizes the three years of the public ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. We know that the Lord started his ministry at age of 30 and he was crucified at age of 33. Uh, another reference said the three years symbolizes the law given by Moses, the prophets like uh, Daniel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and then Christ himself. So the period of the three years uh, that God actually was seeking profit f uh, and fruits from these people through the law, through the prophets, and through the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. But they were fruitless. Who is this certain man? The fathers said, this is God the Father. And who was the vine dresser who interceded and asked to give another chance? The father said, this is the Lord Jesus Christ, the son. So the son asked the father, let me dig around it. Let me dig into the unfertile ground, the unfertile ground of the soul of the people. And let me install new sources of nourishment, the teaching of the gospel of salvation. If it did not help, cut it down. So after the call of repentance, through the sacrament of baptism and confession, and after adding fertilizers, which is the grace of the Holy Spirit in chrismation and in communion. If still this tree unproductive, then let us cut it down. Why it occupies the place which another fertile tree might fill? So the certain man represents God the Father, the one who said, Sir, let it alone this year, represent our Lord Jesus Christ, who is making intercession for us. He is the great intercessor. He interceded for the Jewish people and also interceding for us until now, the sinners, the unfruitful people. Also, all the saints interceding for us and the servants in the church, the clergy, they intercede for their flocks. Verse 10, now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity, 18 years. Spirit means she was possessed by a demon, spirit of infirmity, and was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him 
and said to her, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. So, this narrative is peculiar, peculiar to St. Luke. Mark, Matthew, or John did not mention this uh, miracle. St. John Chrysostom said he was teaching in the synagogue peacefully as to declare that he did not come to resist the law, but rather to fulfill the law. And in spite of the opposition against the Lord Jesus Christ, and this opposition continued to rise, but he was still welcomed into the synagogues, even in this late time in his ministry. And when he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath, he saw a woman crippled by a demon. And in his compassion, he healed her on the Sabbath. So her presence in the synagogue that day gave us a hint that this poor afflicted woman loved to be close to God. She used to go every Sabbath to the synagogue. So she had faith and trust which are prerequisite for healing. But St. Luke did not tell us that she made any request to the Lord Jesus Christ, or even she had any expectation of relief from him. She did not call, and he answered. But she came to the synagogue to be taught by the Lord Jesus Christ. She came with one goal, a spiritual benefit not any materialistic goal. But here the Lord did not only taught her spiritually, but he gave her deliverance from her bodily infirmity. As he told us, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So when our first and principal care is for our spirits, we come to God, God also will answer our materialistic needs. So, when the Lord healed her, she was filled with thankfulness for the mercy, and she glorified God and praised Him. Apparently, the Lord spoke a word of compassion and authority to her, he laid his hand on her, giving a compassionate touch. So, this woman is a symbol of a poor sinner, held in bondage by Satan. And, are kept, and this person is captive by Satan at his will, so his will is weak and cannot raise himself. She was bent over and cannot lift up herself. So this means a, a sinner whose will 
is very weak and cannot actually even lift up his head toward heaven to pray or to ask for help. But when our Lord Jesus Christ in his own time meets with a person like this and in his heart he desires the change although his will is weak although he cannot do anything but he desires the change then the Lord will manifest his power and grace the Lord will break the bondage the Lord will deliver this person from Satan's hand the Lord will make him lift up his head to heaven in glorification and praise to God. So, as the Lord put a new song on the mouth of this woman, he will put a new song on the mouth of every sinner who actually has the desire to repent, even if he doesn't have the will, even if he doesn't have the work but God will empower him in his will and in his action and will break all the bondage of the enemy and we saw that the people who were attendant when they saw the miracle were very happy and glorified God. But what happened? As we read in verse 14, but the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd, there are six days on which men ought to work. Therefore come and be healed on them and not on the Sabbath day. He was afraid to confront the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why he looked at the congregation and addressed them. The Lord then answered him and said, Hypocrite, does not each one of you on the Sabbath lose his ox or donkey from the stove and lead it away to water it? So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, think of it, for 18 years be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath. And when he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame. And all the multitude rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. So the ruler of the synagogue being afraid to attack the Lord Jesus Christ personally. So he addressed the congregation of the synagogue. Maybe this ruler was influenced by some uh, of the Pharisees who were present. So he attempted, attempted to reprimand the Lord Jesus Christ indirectly because in his mind that he did not respect the sacred law of the Sabbath. But the Lord did not respond to him 
with gentleness because he was reprimanding the people and the people didn't do anything wrong. I told you even this woman did not ask healing. So why he is yelling at these people? That's why the Lord talked to him with authority and confronted him. Uh, and he told him, you are following the tradition of men, not even the law. The biblical commandments are compassionate. But you are following the tradition of men. What's wrong in me healing this woman? So the Lord simply told him, if you can help an animal on the Sabbath to drink, why can't you also help a suffering person on the Sabbath? And the Lord gave several compelling reasons why it is very appropriate for him to show mercy on this woman and to heal her. If it is appropriate to help a distressed animal and take the animal to drink water, why I cannot help this woman? She is a woman made in the image of God. She is a daughter of Abraham, a Jewish woman with covenant connection to Abraham. Also, she is a woman of faith. She came to the synagogue to pray. Also, she was afflicted. Satan had bound her. And every day is a good day to oppose the work of Satan and to set free the captives of Satan. Also, she was afflicted for 18 years, long enough to suffer greatly and to draw forth the compassion of the Lord Jesus Christ on others. So, uh, he gave him five reasons why it is very appropriate to heal this woman on the Sabbath. And the woman obviously was healed. And the ruler of the synagogue was obviously wrong. So all the people who were in the synagogue rejoiced in the Lord's victory and how he put them to shame, his opponents. So here, the healing of the daughter of Abraham is also a symbolic of the desire of the Lord to heal the children of Israel who are the descendant of Abraham from the power of Satan. He wants to restore the Jews to the healthy spiritual relationship with God. First thing, then he said, What is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and put in his garden, and it grew and became a large tree, and the birds of the air nested in its branches. So, St. Luke introduced these parables here, either because of the joy of the people 
who attended and witnessed this miracle. So this parable is a good sign about how the kingdom of God will expand to the rest of the whole world. Or maybe, according to his resources, he knew that the cure of this woman and these parables were happened in the same time. So these two incidents happened in the same meeting at the synagogue. So this was the, the, the parable of the mustard seed was part of the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ in the synagogue at that day. Uh, and only Saint Luke who connected these parables with the teaching in synagogue. You, you will not find it in other gospels. And if we think about these parables, the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the living, they were fit and edifying parables at any time. So it is very, very proper to be taught at the synagogue. The healing of this woman was a proof that the kingdom of God had indeed come approaching unto men. So the kingdom of God now is approaching people. So the Lord wants to explain to them its nature, its extent, its mode of working inwardly and outwardly. So what, what here what is the comparison here or the contrast between the mustard seed and the kingdom of God? Both of them, the mustard seed is a very small seed. And the kingdom of God started very small. It started just among the Lord Jesus Christ and very few followers. And as the mustard seed became a huge tree, so the kingdom of God will expand and it will fill the whole earth. So when the kingdom has grown to spread to every corner of the earth, it will shelter all who come to dwell into the household of Jesus, that is the church. Like how the birds come and nest in the branches of the mustard seed, in the same way, all the people from all nations, from all countries, came and found shelter under the wings of our Lord Jesus Christ in the church. So the kingdom of God on earth was composed in the very, very beginning, Jesus Christ and some few followers. And maybe for some people, it is impossible that this little movement could ever stir the whole world. But in reality, Christianity, in very, very short time, the whole world became Christian. 
Then the Lord gave another parable in verse 20. And again, he said, To what shall I liken the kingdom of God? It is like living, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal, till it was all leavened. So, maybe you, you, you are going to say these two parables are similar to each other, but no. Here the Lord used a surprising picture here. The, how the kingdom of God is working its way through the whole world. It's like the living that actually is spread inwardly in the dew until it expands. The living in the Bible can be symbol of evil or symbol of good. Here, a symbol of the good spread of the kingdom of God in the world. So, negative, when the Lord told them, beware of the living of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. But here, leaven is a fermenting agent. When mixed with flour into a dough, cause the dough to rise and expand. A little bit of leaven can cause an amount to dough to expand to much greater size. In the same way, the teaching of the gospel of salvation cause the kingdom to expand from its small beginning to become much greater in size. Uh, so, the, both parables, the mustard seed and the living, portrayed the expansion. But the mustard seed portrayed the rapid growth and the external growth. It became a huge tree. But the living actually addressed the inward transformation which the kingdom of God will effect in the heart of men and women. How the living work internally. In this way, actually, the, the word of God transformed the person internally. What are the three measures of meal? Most of the fathers said they represent the body, soul, and spirit. Also number three is a symbol of completeness, signifying that the divine will, the divine economy, influencing the whole mass of human kind. So, God here is promising us the amazing growth of the kingdom from its small beginning. St. Ambrose mentions in his comments on the Gospel of St. Luke several beautiful interpretations to this parable. Let me mention some of his interpretations. Some think that the Lord Jesus Christ is the yeast. So he said, the living is Jesus himself. 
offer to the church, and the church is the woman. Uh, and Jesus leavens us the flower. We are the flower into his righteousness. And he puts his qualities in us. Another interpretation by St. Ambrose, he said, the word of God, the logos of God, became incarnate, became man, bearing our human nature. But by the power of his divinity, he works in us not to change us outwardly, but more importantly, transform us from inside, from within. St. Ambrose also said, the yeast changes the nature of the flower and not only its appearance. In this way, Christ also changed our nature, not only our appearance. Uh, also, he said, some think the three measures of flour that have accepted the yeast refer to the law, the prophets, and the gospel, where Christ was hidden, hiding by means of symbols. So Christ was hidden in the law, in the prophet, but manifested in the gospel. So St. Ambrose is saying, in this way the believer appropriately bears in his heart these three measures. So when we study the law and the prophets and the gospel, the Lord Jesus Christ will be revealed in us. Finally, St. Ambrose said, we have to search diligently and accurately in the law, prophet, and the gospel, so Christ will be revealed and declared to us. St. Ambrose also mentioned another thing, that the interpretation of the yeast means the church is edified which is different than the yeast of the scribe and the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So there are two types of the yeast. The yeast of the church, which is a symbol of edification, and the yeast of the scribe and Pharisees, which is a symbol of hypocrisy. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, St. Paul said, Therefore, let us celebrate the feast, not with the old yeast, the yeast of malice and evil, that's the yeast of the Pharisees, but with unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So, the church yeast is the edification by the Bible. And the three measures of flour that are leavened are body, spirit, and soul. Thus, the believers are blessed with this sanctification in every aspect of their life. I will conclude here our Bible study tonight. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.